0: Good morning, church. It's really good to be gathered together. Uh, that's what this series has been all about, is about the the blessing, the value of our dependence on each other. We've, we're making a declaration of dependence, that we need one another. And so many of us have experienced the isolation uh, of, of different sorts of, uh, of feelings in our culture. It's an isolated culture in many ways, and our all right, we're trying in some ways to, to push back against that through our church experience together, through our small groups, our connecting point groups that meet throughout the week, through our benevolence offering that allows us to partner and walk beside people who have expressed needs uh, and, and a need for dependence. Uh, we all walk through different seasons. And so over the last two weeks, we've talked about that in different ways. Last week, we talked about how sin is an isolating force in our lives, that, that often isolation uh, leads to an opportunity for Evil one to be at work in our lives to lead us into sin, and that that sin leads us into further isolation, and it's a cycle that uh, a lot of us have noticed in our lives from time to time. This morning, I want to lead us to a different conversation, a different topic of isolation. Last week, I really wanted to talk about how sin does that, because I wanted to separate sin from the discussion that I want to have today about isolation. But I, I, I got to tell you, I, I haven't shared this with many sermons, but. Today, and over the last few months, I felt very led to preach what I'm going to share with you today. Um, I think there's some isolation that's in the community of faith that's a result of some things that I hadn't noticed until a conversation, a couple of conversations that I had over the last few weeks, uh, a couple of months. And I've noticed that there is an isolation of a different kind that really is a heartbreaking thing that we can do something to change and that the leadership here wants to do more to change. And so I want to begin with a prayer this morning, and I want to share with you a little of what God's laid on my heart. I want to share a story from, uh, from Scripture, from the Gospels, and uh, then I want to invite us into more dependence today. Let's pray as we open God's Word. Oh God, you are a God who is not alone and far off from us, God. You're a God who knows community within that Godhead, within you and your Son and your Spirit God, you You knew community before you even longed to have community with us. And God, you've launched a tribe, a tribe of your people, from Israel even to today, the new Israel, your church. God, you've longed for us to be a tribe that blessed all other tribes, that gave up its own life so that other tribes might live. God, that's what your son came to do, is to die so that we might have life, life abundant. He promised that he wouldn't be far off. that even as he commissioned us to go into all the world, he says, I'm going to be with you. And we sense that spirit that you've gifted us with today. And God, this morning, I want you to speak so clearly into the isolation in this room. God, I ask for your freedom. I ask for even revival today as we step out of the isolation that we felt. And God, right now, I pray especially over any fear that's in this room today fear that's been produced through a certain kind of faith that's been passed down through the generations, fear that's been used to manipulate into decisions about following you, fear that isolates because there's been experiences we don't feel are safe to share in this community. And I pray today we would begin to peel back the layers of that fear and tell fear to run once again, that we would move back into community in the places that are most real and alive in our God, I pray for the people in this room, the individuals that feel isolated today, that they would begin to take the first steps, God, back into trust, a trust that's been betrayed at times, and then we would move away from fear as a motivator, and we would move back toward dependence on you and one another. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, Religion has a way of opening our eyes to God, but religion also has a way of closing our eyes to the work of God. Because even from the first century and before that, religion has been a force that has kept people in the shadows, has used fear as a motivator in people's lives. Some of us came to decisions of faith through fear, and it's not a bad thing to come to a decision through whatever means or motivation that comes, but if it's going to be sustained, faith for the long journey, fear cannot be the long-term motivator. Fear can lead us to make decisions. It really doesn't help us make disciples. And, and so today, I want to talk about how fear, in John chapter 9 specifically, was a motivator in community that kept people from experiencing the vitality of life, and how I believe today the church still does this, and I want to lead us away from that. I want to lead us away from fear and into trust in the Spirit, into relationship once again. Um, this sermon, again, emerged from a conversation that I had a few weeks ago with a very spiritual woman in our church who began to share a story that she'd never shared in our church, and she even stopped herself before she shared that story with me. And it broke my heart because I realized this was an experience she'd had that had led her into more vitality with God, and yet she feared that the community of faith would not receive that story. As I heard that, I began to think about all of us in the room on Sundays who come together with this cloud of fear in our minds, about experiences we've had, about questions we have, about doubts that we have. And we wonder, would we be received if we were to be honest about those things in the church community? And so I want to open to John 9 because I think it's a good starting place for us this morning. John 9 is a story about a, a man who had been blind from birth. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this boy's parents this morning. Imagine yourself. In those days, there would have been no prenatal screening. There would have been no knowledge about this child and the handicap that he would face throughout his life. But that child's born and there's joy. But somewhere along the way in those first couple of years, you begin to notice a difference between your child and the other children. Some of you have had this experience before. So you go and you get testing in our day, but in those days, at some point, it would have been discovered you can't see the things we see. And then, of course, your imagination goes to what is his life going to be like? How is he going to have a living? When we die, and of course, life expectancy at those days was far different than today. When when we die, who will he have to depend on? And we find him in John 9 by the roadside, and Jesus comes into the story, and an amazing thing happens. But the story doesn't begin with an amazing thing. It begins with religious people asking some really hard questions that would be hard for this man to hear, but it wouldn't have been the first time. Because Jesus' disciples, they say to Jesus, I imagine within hearing distance of this man, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is the presumption in those days, it seems. In fact, Deuteronomy seems to lead us on that journey, right? Deuteronomy says, if you do what's right, you'll be blessed. If you do what's wrong, you'll be cursed. And so I imagine the disciples going back to those tapes from their childhood and objectifying this man with some kind of theological question for Jesus as he sits right there. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Have you ever been there in that situation? Casting judgment on someone? Maybe not a blind man. That's not exactly where we might go today. But people who find themselves in a difficult situation and the first assumption is judgment. And Jesus responds quickly and he says, Neither. Neither. This was done so that my glory might be seen. And he heals this man. It's an amazing scene. Imagine being this man. And the parents seem to be nearby, perhaps there in the moment. And I want you to imagine the feeling of being those parents that day. The joy of this baby that was born to you, who we don't know what age he is, but he's a man now, and now he can see. You see him for the first time looking around at things beginning to pick up all these things that they have known all their lives. Imagine the joy, but then the Pharisees come, the religious leaders. And they begin an interrogation into the source of this healing. They begin to ask this man, who heals you? What's this about? But they still have their doubts after he tells them that he was blind and he was healed. So they come to the parents who are there. And they say to the parents, was this boy really blind from birth? They're questioning like we do sometimes when we see healings and hear these stories. Well, maybe it wasn't really what it seemed, right? They ask the parents, who did this? Who healed your son? Was he really blind? And I want you to pay close attention to the response of these parents. This is in John 9, beginning in verse 20. Again, put yourself in the place of these parents, and this is what they say. We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask. This is the best day of these parents' lives. They've seen a miracle. They've seen Jesus do it. They see now the aftermath. They've embraced their son, I imagine, in this scene. This is the greatest day of their lives. But here the Pharisees show up, the religious leaders of the time. And all of a sudden, you can almost see from their faces the smiles go back to the way you do in religious communities. Their fear is there. And their fear is they've heard of others being put out of the synagogue. And again, this is being written to a community where this is happening, right? This is being written later in the first century where people know this story. When they, when they read the story in John 9, others are going, yeah, that's right. That's what they do. That's what religious communities do. We were kicked out of the synagogues. My parents were long ago because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so here they read in on the scene. Imagine being the first century audience first hearing the story. And all of them can connect with exactly what these parents are. But I want you to imagine being these parents. The greatest day of your life is here. And and, and the Pharisees come and all you can utter is, ask him, he's of age. And why do they do this? Because they're afraid to death that if they speak the words, that are the words of faith, the words of what God has done, that the religious community won't be able to receive it and they'll be removed from the community. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Having to withhold the joy that you have out of fear of what the community you're a part of might do if they were to know what you really believed about the story. And then imagine being the son. Greatest day of your life. You're so excited. And then interrogation mode comes from the religious community. And then one of the first pictures and images you have of your parents is of them having to say, he's of age, ask him. That's the first emblazoned memory this child will have to live with for the rest of his life, is parents who cannot express joy, they have to just say, yeah, ask him. And I want to get upset with the parents, and I want to get upset with so many people in the story, but then I turn in in 21st century culture, and I look at myself and I go, I'm the problem. The, the, the religious leaders are the problem in this story. And as I hear this story a couple of weeks ago from this woman, I think, how many of us, how many dozens of us this morning, how many hundreds of us this morning have had an experience of the living God that was outside what we thought our parents could bear, and we were scared to death to share that story within the religious community because our fear was people will laugh it off, people will assume it doesn't happen that way anymore, yeah that may have happened in the first century but that doesn't happen today. We have these ways of patting people on the head, don't we? And silencing the greatest moments of their lives that could just unleash the greatest emotion, the greatest journey with God. Some of you know exactly some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you've had these experiences. And you live with them inside of you. And at some point you try to deny them so you can just kind of go on with the community or you Eventually just leave. How many have just left over the years, right? Because the greatest moment they've ever had in their lives of God at work would never be received in the community they're a part of. So it's easier just to leave and to trust the experience. But some of us sit and we're, we're dead inside because the very thing we know God did in our lives we can't speak to out of fear of how it will be received. And then my imagination got going about you all. and praying about this message. And I imagined a a middle-aged woman that might be sitting in the crowd today who went to a conference at one point. She went because a friend had invited her. It seemed to be a religious Christian experience. And she got there and she realized, these people are a little different than the people I grew up with. And it could be indicated physically by their hands being raised a bit more than we do. But then all of a sudden they're came an opportunity for a service of healing. And it made her a little nervous at first until she saw the people who walked in with physical maladies, with emotional distress, and she saw people healed. And everything within her experience growing up says, this can't be happening in front of my eyes. I, I have to question, maybe they weren't really blind from birth, but what she saw you can never forget. And if you were to walk back into your parents and tell that story, you know they'd say, well, that ended in the first century, honey. Whatever that was, that wasn't of God. And your fear is, if I were to speak these words at church, at my own church, I don't think it'd be received either. And so you sit with one of the most vital experiences of your life, of seeing God's work, and you sit in silence, a little bit more dead in your faith, and wondering, if I shared this story today, would it be received? I'm imagining a high school senior, a young girl, already got college plans that she's planning to go off to. And over the years, she's been taught a picture of Scripture that was a very literal per- per- perspective of Scripture. Much like we teach here at Greenville Oaks Church of Christ. Because we believe the miracles of Jesus happened, don't we? We believe the stories that Jesus told. We believe in the power of Scripture. And she's learned that all of her life, but in the midst of some science classes she's been a part of, she's begun to wonder about parts of Scripture. Did it really happen that way? Was it really six days, six literal days, 24-hour days? Because as the stories are told in the science textbooks, they sound a bit different. And, 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 And the way it was laid out was, well, but if we take any part of Scripture out, it's like a house of cards. If that's wrong, then you can't even trust the resurrection of Jesus. So you kind of put your faith together in a way that withstands those challenges and you close your eyes to it, but she can't quite get rid of that nagging question. Next year, she's going to go off to college. And she's going to have academic professors who know even better than her high school teachers do and have all the basis and the evidence. And, but she's known you don't bring these questions to church because they won't receive those questions. They'll question why you're doubting these things. She'll find that safe place next year to ask all of those questions. And and, and she'll get some pretty good answers from some professors. But church was never the safe place. The safe place she'll find is in a place of people without fear of the religious community keeping us from the deepest questions. Imagining a couple who walks in on most mornings. And whether it's uh, it's some kind of challenge in their relationship, they know this isn't going well, and they wonder if they're going to make it, but they know if they were to admit that within the religious community, man, <laughs> they would stop getting invited to dinner with their friends, because that's just a little too hard to deal with those marriage questions. Maybe it's a struggle or an addiction, Maybe it's maybe it's infidelity, or maybe it's just the fighting that goes on. There's kids that are struggling with hearing those voices at night that are so loud. And and yet when they walk in these doors, they know if they were to admit this in the religious community, they might not be received. They might not be welcomed in the same way. And so they put on their faces and they come to church and on and on that struggle goes. And it gets worse and worse because church isn't the safe place it should be because there's fear. They might not be received. I'm imagining a an older saint. Grew up in, in a great church, but a church that was closed off to people who were outside of the tribe. And, but they've seen too much, too many faithful people who've walked to follow Jesus outside of our tribe. And they began to see that God's a little bigger than the picture they were handed. And they walk into more communities of people that were castaways, set off, people who were surely heretics. And they've begun to see the Spirit of God is living among even these people. All of a sudden, they're picture of God gets bigger and bigger, and over the years, it's harder to come into this place where not everyone believes the same thing, and and they wonder, if I were to say that these people, those people are actually in the kingdom of God, if I were to say those words, man, it would be a risk, and it might not be received. So they just kind of isolate themselves in this feeling that you just don't utter in a class or in a connecting point group, you just don't talk about because you've tried it before and you got slapped in that moment. Imagining the isolation. And then I'm imagining this. I'm imagining the teen right now or the young adult. He's in his early 20s. He's finally gotten out of college. And there's always been that lingering question inside of him. Of his sexual identity. And he's gone to counseling that his parents try to get him to do in silence. Not letting the church know about any of this, right? And... He struggled with this internally and in the youth group, he paid attention all through those years to the comments that were said about homosexuality, about the jokes that were told by teens at camps. And in every one of those conversations, he picked up, that's an unsafe person. That's an unsafe person. I'll never share my story with that person. I'll never walk through my doubt and my questions with that person. That one, maybe. That one, yeah. I think maybe that might be the one. I'm here to tell you, there are people that are making decisions in every moment by the words we speak. If we're safe people or if we're people to fear about the things that are really going on in their lives. And right now he's trying to sort through this, but the church is the last place he's going to go. Because I can't sort through this with people who might do to me exactly what happened in John 9. this ought to be the safest place to have all of these conversations. And it's not all the time, is it? And it doesn't mean there's not discernment on the other side of all of these questions. It doesn't mean there's not lots of conversation. In fact, I would submit to you, all of these people I've mentioned would love a conversation if they knew they'd be received and there'd be a safe place for it to be brought without being rejected and thrown out of the community. This is who we want to be, church. We want to be the kind of church where hard conversations can be had without the fear that you'll be thrown out if you utter them. We want to be the kind of place where you can sort through the deepest questions of life and your biggest doubts without having to go to a college campus to try to figure it out. No, the community of faith is the best to have questions. Can we be that kind of community, church? I've grown up in churches where I couldn't ask my doubts. I've grown up in places where I couldn't admit my sins. And I'm just about sick and tired of it. And when I hear spiritual people in my church sharing these stories and then writing me an email the next day, apologizing for even saying, I had an experience and I can't quite tell you about it. And I want you to assure you it was biblical and it was within the boundary of Scripture. And I'm like, I don't want to be apologized anymore for that. I'm the problem. And I don't want to be the problem anymore. We can create and instill fear, but fear does not remove the questions of doubt. Fear does not remove the experiences where we've seen God bigger than what he is. Fear does not remove the issues and the questions of identity that we struggle with. Fear does not remove the relational struggles that we're walking through. Fear does not remove the addictions. What removes those things is an honest community of people that are willing to walk beside others in their greatest questions of doubt and struggle and questioning. Now, for some of us, this is perhaps the most freeing message you've heard in a long time because you've known this fear and you've known that isolation. Part of you is wondering, is this the morning I might just share? Is this the morning I might set up an appointment and, and actually share the thing I thought I never could? And, and some of you right now are, are wanting to put fear back down because it's, sometimes it's easier to allow fear to be the thing that prevents us from walking through the difficult challenges, right? It's easier to say, well, certain people shouldn't be. Well, Colin, what are you opening up the door to? Scripture is still the source of our life and faith. The story of Jesus is where we're pointing people to, and there's conversations on the back end of every single one of these scenarios I've talked about. But we're not going to be a church anymore that refuses to have hard conversations and walk through struggles. We haven't been for a long time, have we? No, this church for a long time has been this kind of place. It's just hard sometimes to speak of it as boldly as we need to. I know the leaders of this church desire this thing. So as I talked about a series about dependence and about isolation, I couldn't get through it without talking about this because all of us need a place in our moments of greatest struggle where we can come and utter the thing we're most afraid to utter in the community of faith. Fear does us no good in these moments the bold courage to be the kind of listening place that removes judgment so that we can move into conversation and we can move into relationship and we can move into dialogue to trust the Spirit of God has nothing to fear from a questioning of the truth. Those doubts are the only place we come to deeper faith. Struggling through who we really are, that must be the place we come, this place. And so this morning we want to offer an opportunity for the beginning of this. I want to offer you an opportunity to respond in several ways as we move into a time of worship in just a moment. Um, One of those ways is we're going to have some safe people who are around the outside of this worship center that we would invite you to come and to pray with. If any of these scenarios or others or something that you've been wanting to get off your chest, I will commit to you these people are safe people who will receive you. There's a prayer room in the back of people that would love to do the same for you this morning. Prayer to receive you and and ask what happens going forward. There's a card in the row in front of you as well. That may be a big step to get up right now. There's cards at the tables that are at the front. There's cards that are in the pew in front of you. If you want to go to a table and you just want to write down what it is that's been that question or that identity issue or has been that doubt or has been that experience that you had that you thought you could never utter in these doors, go and write those things. Write them in, in, in on the card in front of you. Put your name on it if you'd like and Love to be in contact if that's a help or be anonymous with that. But write those things down, get those things out, allow those words to be spoken that you never thought could in this room. I also want to offer beyond that because I know that just something happening on Sunday morning isn't enough. And so I want to offer a couple of options from even your chair later this afternoon that you can engage. Uh, This number on the screen is a Google text number that'll come to me. Um, And uh, if you want to text a, a message, if you want to text a, uh, a desire just to meet with me this week, I've I've opened my schedule for lots of slots so that this can be a week where I can meet with many of you. And I would love nothing more than that. I know some of you would rather meet with females in our church, and we've got women who would be prepared to meet with you as well if that's more comfortable for you. But text that number and even open up a, a dialogue or or just share a story, share a doubt, share a struggle you're walking through. And if you want to put your name with it, we'd love that. But you'd like that to be anonymous, that's fine too. And also my email. Feel free to write me this week. I will commit to every message that I get that I'll get back to you. I'll commit also to prayer for you. I'll commit also to a removal of judgment so that fear is not something you have to come with. Uh, But send me an email, shoot a text, and I would love nothing more than to set up time this week. I've got all the openings this week I can open up so that I can meet with as many of you as possible because this is important stuff. And this is just the start. It can't be one Sunday, can it? Church, we depend on one another, don't we? And unfortunately, the community of faith has been the last place that some of us have felt free to depend on. It's got to change. My hope is that if a John 9 situation happens in the week ahead, the greatest moment of your life that you don't think you can utter in this community, that you'd be willing and able to come and express that, and that fear wouldn't be a motivator to keep you from it. I hope that if you have a doubt or a question, that we begin to be able to sort through those things. I'd, I'd hope if you had an experience that you thought wouldn't be received here of who God is and it's brought you more alive, that this would be the place you can bring it. I pray that we can be a place that can receive people no matter their struggle and walk with them no matter what the journey is ahead. So right now, I want to pray and I want to invite us into this time of, of singing together. And in whatever way you want to respond, whether it's coming forward and writing something on the table and putting in a basket, whether it's praying with someone around the room or just using this time to, to, to text me or to, or, or to email me during this time, or you want to do that later this afternoon, please do this. Take this opportunity because this is a safe place. I'm a safe person to share these things with. And we've got others in this church, our leadership that would love the same thing with you. So let's pray right now, and then we want to give you this invitation this morning. God, I've tried to be faithful with what you've laid on my heart this week. God, my heart breaks for the ways the church has been one of the least safe places to utter hard things. God, I pray for some who are feeling just an opening this morning for the first time in years, that they would take that opening they would walk through that door. God, I pray that, that love would be the force that compels, that grace would be the force of transformation in our lives. God, that you would be the kind of God that would lead us into deeper relationship with one another. And it wouldn't happen through fear, but it would happen through openness, through dialogue, through discernment, through your Spirit's work. We, we trust your Spirit to do what we can't. And God, we're tired of being your police and your lawyer because you can handle all truth on your own. This morning, God, we open up this time and we, we give it to you in the name of Jesus.